Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Chris Gethin. He's the editor of bodybuilding.com, the editor-in-chief, and he's also the co-founder and CEO of Caged Muscle. Caged Muscle starts with a K. His Facebook is at Chris Gethin, and his Instagram is Chris Gethin as well. So we talk about, we talk a lot about longevity, building muscle, about different ways of fasting, how much protein do people really need? And Chris, of course, has a very particular perspective as he works with a lot of clients right now, but he also comes from the world of bodybuilding. And how interesting is it that Chris was the first competitive athlete to actually have a biological age 20 years younger than his chronological age. So this man knows of what he speaks. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed meeting Chris. He's a lovely person. If you're looking to connect with him on Instagram, it's Chris Gethin, K-R-I-S-G-E-T-H-I-N. And he says you can pretty much connect with all of his businesses through that, whether it's the gyms, the supplements, the bodybuilding.com, all of it emerges out of that Instagram account. So thank you so much for being here, you guys. If you have any other questions or comments, be sure to reach out to me on natnidham.com. And that is also where you can learn about my new community called BSP Community on Mighty Networks, how to join and what's involved and what you can expect when you get there. The Facebook group is still there, but this Mighty Networks community is something new and I'm really excited about it. So make sure that you check it out. We're going to have a quick word from one of our sponsors now, and then we're going to dive into longevity and health through a bodybuilder's perspective with Chris Gethin. Enjoy. Hey folks, I just had to interrupt to tell you about a new development in the molecular hydrogen space. You guys know that I love molecular hydrogen and that I use it every single day. And when it comes to my hydrogen, I choose rejuvenation from Drink HRW because of the rigorous testing, clinical trials, and their mission to create products backed by science. Well, Drink HRW recently came out with a new hydrogen tablet that I am so excited to tell you about because it's got all of the same benefits of rejuvenation. It combats excess oxygen oxidative stress, it supports healthy aging, and so much more. But this new tablet has a special ingredient called Immunol P20, which works alongside hydrogen to deliver even more benefits. The newest tablet is called Harmony because it does just that. It brings the processes in the body into harmony while supporting respiratory health, maintaining well-being when under stress, and improving metabolic function. I love the feeling of confidence in my health when I think about facing this upcoming fall and winter, knowing that I have support behind my immune and metabolic systems. So I've teamed up with DrinkHRW to bring you a special deal that you can only get here. Just use code longevity to save 15% at drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman and be sure to grab Harmony, which I've been obsessed with since I started using it a month ago. Again, that's longevity at drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman to save 15%. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. 
Chris Gethin, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. The pleasure's all mine. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. It's not often that I get to talk to bodybuilders. So there's so many questions I want to ask you. But okay. the first question I really want to ask you, and especially bodybuilders, I think I should, I should reframe that, especially bodybuilders who have moved into the biohacking space, who have an interest in longevity, because we don't typically associate bodybuilders with longevity. And, and that's a gross generalization, I know. But, you know, certainly... You know, lean muscle is very, it's expensive material for the body to carry. <laughs> yeah. It requires a lot of calories and oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and exactly. It's, it's a high maintenance, high maintenance stuff. And so the body, you know, would not choose to build that much lean mass if it didn't have, if it really wasn't being called to. So I think that in and of itself will be its own interesting little discussion. But, you know, what I always find fascinating is asking my guests what brought them to doing what they do today. And I think that for you, you know, it's kind of like a bit of a, a, a road because of what brought you to bodybuilding in the first place and that what got you from bodybuilding into kind of the, this biohacking space. Although I often talk about bodybuilders as the original biohackers. So yeah. I'm now going to stop talking and let you rock. Tell us, tell us about it, about you, Chris. <laughs> okay, no worries. Well, this weird accent that you're listening to is from Wales, and I'm currently um, on this podcast now from the UK currently. But uh, I live in Idaho. And uh, the, how I got into bodybuilding and biohacking were on very, very similar paths. One was through injury, and the other one was through sickness. So I raced motocross for many, many, uh, for, for about 10, 11 years, I raced motocross and I succumbed to a lot of injuries. And the one injury that pretty much put uh, an end to my career was a back injury. Mm. And uh, I, I went to see many specialists, chiropractors, doctors, uh, osteopaths, uh, and it wasn't a massage therapy. I, I, it wasn't until I actually started doing resistance training through physiotherapy that I was alleviated of a lot of the symptoms of the pain specifically. So when I started to tighten the muscles around my spine, that alleviated me of a lot of the pain that I was dealing with, which led to um, alcohol consumption, that led to depression, mm. all sorts of ailments. Uh, so when I started weight training, I was like, you know what? I actually really like this. I like how I feel. Uh, I'm not dealing with the pain that I was dealing with from uh, motocross. I wasn't doing any type of resistance training. It was a lot of cardio uh, based work. So then I went to, to, you know, I started reading a lot about weight training and nutrition and everything associated with it. And I realized that I could really retain that content because I enjoyed it. It gave me purpose. So I went and studied it for several years and then decided to take up a uh, natural drug-free bodybuilding. That kind of gave, I, I never really liked bodybuilding as a sport sport, being yeah. on stage in your underpants and, you know, wearing tan. <laughs> uh, but I like the process. I like the journey. And I like that sense of urgency that it gave me towards a goal. And I, and I like to, you know, do, ex, use my body as an experiment to a certain degree to see what worked, what didn't, what type of sleeping patterns, what sort of nutritional protocols, supplements, etc. So I, uh, I, I followed that journey for about 11 years uh, as a competitor, but I mm -hmm. still practice it. You know, I, I, I train, I do bodybuilding because I actually love the process. And, um, and then many years later, um, I got into the biohacking side of things. This is like 2014 through mold toxicity. So I was a, 
uh, well, I am a trainer and I was working with a celebrity in India as his trainer. And uh, I was staying in an apartment in Mumbai. It's a very, very humid city. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was mold there. I, unbeknownst to me, there was mold and I got mold toxicity. Mm. The symptoms that I had was very little sleep. I'd sleep about three hours a night. Wow. I, did, I didn't know what was going on, but I had this I'd say athletic attitude that I've got to be resilient. I'm going to outwork you. I'm still going to train hard. And I was just getting sicker and sicker. And I didn't know what was happening with me mentally. Like I, I didn't like who I'd become. Uh, I didn't even want to be around me. And uh, <laughs> it's generally a bad sign. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of exhausted every area that I you know, try to sort out whether it be, you know, through nutrition, whether it be through supplementation, even try different types of medication that doctors had suggested to me that just made me feel worse. And it wasn't until uh, I was referred to Dr. Spinaug in Oldsmar, Florida, where I had so many tests on the, on the first day, like 62 tests of blood tests, uh, stools, saliva, urine, brain scans, that I was diagnosed then with mold toxicity and went through a detox protocol where I stayed there for about six weeks. I probably would have uh, stayed there for about six months if he'd had his way. Uh, And I just continued going through that kind of quote unquote detoxification protocol since then. And now, you know, tracking my sleep, my sleep is fine. Uh, I feel so much better. I'm really a different person to be around. And the funny thing is, a lot of the inflammation that I had in my body, like in my joints, mm-hmm. I thought was just a side effect from bodybuilding, weight training heavy. But as I started to kind of detox myself, yeah. I noticed that a lot of the inflammation that I was feeling in my joints and in my tendons had kind of dissipated. So that's when I really went down the, the bio packing rabbit hole to see what else had mold was it coffee was it grains was it chocolate was it wine and what else I could do to improve my longevity or my health span and reverse my biological age because at that stage my bio my chronological age was younger than my biological so then I went down rabbit hole to see what I could do to reverse it and I've been able to reverse it now down to 26 I'm 48 this year and uh, a couple of companies such as Glycanage now have partnered with me yeah. to do pilot studies with, uh, with some of my clients because that's something that is kind of unheard of within the athletic community. Uh, community. Yeah. So are you just measuring your Glycanage, which I, I'm a big fan of Glycanage too, although it's very specific in terms of what it's looking at. What I love about Glycanage is it's a metric that's easy to move if you're willing to do the work. You know, yes. about three to four months changing that life, the lot of lifestyle habits, you can actually make a massive impact. Yeah. Um, but was that the only metric you were using or were you using things like telomere length or DNA methylation? What was the, what was the testing? Yeah, I've done a bit of everything. I've done a bit of everything. Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah, telomeres. I've done a couple of uh, different telomere tests, like through Telliers and uh, I can't remember the other company's name that had a few, a few more snips that they were testing for. Uh, but methylation as well. I've actually just finished doing a test this, uh, this week uh, for methylation and uh, with my organic acids test. But yeah, glycans is another one of those uh, measuring sticks that I utilize. So when you say that your biological age is um, versus your, so your chronological age, you said is, sorry, what was it? It's 40, 48 this year. It's 47 currently. Right. 47. And your biological age is 30. 20. 26. 
26. And so that's your glycan age or is that DNA methylation? Uh, so my glycan age is 26 and my telomeres is 25. Nice. I don't know. I don't know my most recent uh, methylation. I will. I will have that probably in about two weeks. Nice, nice. Well, these are all really interesting metrics, right? And they all measure very different things. So it's uh, it's always nice to to get all the different numbers that we can get because they they can be quite different. Yeah, and what I what I like is just looking at them and then test them again a year later mm-hmm. and then a year later, regardless of that test. You know, it's much like if I have clients that. Are weighing different on different scales. It's like, well, whatever scale that you measure on, I don't care if it's wrong, yeah. as long as it's accurate in that transition of week after week, month after month. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I really like that. I have a question for you. As a natural bodybuilder, how much do you think genetics come into play? Like, I would, I would imagine, wouldn't your natural predisposition to building lean mass come into like as a natural bodybuilder? Wouldn't that would that matter more than the guys who are willing to do, you know, go to more extreme measures to trigger muscle synthesis in their bodies? Yeah, I think it's it goes for both ways, to be honest with you, because like I've known people that take, quote unquote, extracurricular supplementation and their bodies just haven't reacted as they thought they would, you know, mm-hmm. because you'll get these people that just push themselves, push themselves in the gym and they never, they, they, they would never even come close to wing, winning an amateur show, let alone a professional show. But then you'll get some of those pros on those stages that aren't tested and they do hardly anything. And they've, they're standing on those stages, you know, even though they're training hard, but they don't really take much, you know, they've just got, they're just genetic freaks. Yeah. Genetic so they're freaks. genetically predisposed. That's what, that's what yeah. I was kind of going at. I would, I would imagine that the natural, world has more of those guys than um than not just yeah i i think what what we would see if you were to remove drugs from a lot of bodybuilding stages and then it it was all natural you'd Mm -hmm. probably see the same line of athletes to a certain degree on you know in placed in in the the natural shows however those you know based on genetics but the people that have the receptors that are very very clean and uh they they don't and you know they have very good adrenals then Mm -hmm. obviously those are the people that are going to be a little bit more enhanced than not yeah no that's really interesting that's such a okay so let's keep going on your journey so and so when was the when did the mold toxicity happen and is this like uh two years ago or 10 years ago no, this is back in 2011, 2011. Okay, so about 10 years, 11 years ago now, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't really uh, get diagnosed until 2014. Ugh, yeah. That would be a couple of miserable years there. It was a few miserable years. Like I would, this is how I used to try to explain what I was going through when it, when it came to bedtime at night. It felt like I was going on a, a, like a, a 12-hour flight every single night where I'd wake up 30 minutes later and go, oh, okay, it's time to get up. But I'd only been sleeping for 30 minutes. And then that happened again 30 minutes later and 30 minutes later, if not 20 minutes later. And, uh, and I was averaging about three, sometimes four hours sleep a night. Uh, but I wouldn't take naps during the day because I had this, this kind of like anxiety about me as mm-hmm. well. I was on, I was at, on edge all day. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what had gone wrong. You know, I thought, is this a different, because I'm living in a different environment, there's different people around me. Is it different foods? What is it? I have no idea. 
But uh, it seemed, it seemed, it came down to the flat, the apartment that I was living in. Uh, yeah, and so, so, so you just had to leave Mumbai, or you were able to find a different apartment? No, I left Mumbai. I flew to the U.S. and I went to uh, Doctor Doctor Spanag's clinic in Florida. Right. And I and I every time, like I have a chain of gyms, a gym franchise in India. So I go back to visit now. I don't go back to live. Uh, and uh, I'm very careful. Like I can pretty much tell now if I go into a an apartment or a, a place where it has mold toxicity. I feel the symptoms a little bit more. Yeah, um, you become so more sensitive, I'm, right? A bit of a canary yeah, in a coal mine. Did you smell the mold? Like, do you smell the mold? I do now. I yeah. do now. Or the dampness. Yeah, I can kind of smell it. Where then, I, yes, yeah, so what if there was mold? So what if there's dampness? Yeah. I figured, okay, this is Mumbai. This is kind of how it is. I didn't know there was a, such a thing as toxicity back then. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And it definitely it levels so many people like this. The mold toxicity is a real it's a massive issue. And I think it's becoming a growing issue, you know, as the climate is changing and in certain places in the U.S. and in the world where there's just a lot of humidity. It's I mean, mold is a beautifully resilient organism. <laughs> it's yeah. very opportunistic and very tough. Yeah, especially when you have the contrast of hot and cold with the air conditioning and the humidity, it does create a lot of dampness. Yeah. And uh, and then obviously, you know, we've got the mold that is found, especially in the US, like in grains, uh, in the certain coffees, uh, you know, that we're drinking. So I have to be very careful of the sources. Of course, you know, I'm not completely extreme. I'm never not going to go to a coffee shop again, but I try to balance my environment and control sure. my environment instead of get controlled by it. Yeah. So what have you found are the foods that are the most problematic for you or in general for mold? Because you mentioned a few there. Um, I'm, I think I feel like you don't eat a lot of grains. I think I listened, I listened to a previous interview of yours and it sounded like you weren't, I mean, maybe you eat a little bit of quinoa here and there, but it didn't sound to me like you were eating a whole lot of grains. No, I pretty much try to stay away from the grains dependent on the country that I'm in. Of course, I want to, you know, try, I try to remove myself from gluten. And yeah. if I do have gluten, like if I am eating out and they've got some sourdough bread, some fermented sourdough bread, I'll eat it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, maybe I'll have some gluten guardian, some supplements exactly. that, are, that are with me. At We've that all time. got our little bottle in our bags, right? <laughs> I know. You tell. It's funny, you know, when I was at this health optimization summit, we all break out our little bags of uh, supplements <laughs> when we go out to eat. And, and the like, masszymes to mop up the rest of the other stuff that you don't quite know what's there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially when you're having a heavy steak or something. But yeah, it's mostly, you know, the grains I don't mind in certain countries uh, because I know some, the toxicity levels are very different in some countries. But when I'm in the US, I, I do usually stay away from grains. Um, I, don't, I generally go a little bit on the lower side of carbohydrates anyway, complex carbohydrates, even though I do perform, um, you know, and I am utilizing glycogen yeah. uh, as a form of energy. How are you I getting away with that? Yeah, I would think because so many people, like, I mean, I don't know if the, if a keto bodybuilder is a thing, but. Uh, no, um, no, not so much. You don't really see it. I, I, I just think a lot of the time we do overdo it with the carbohydrates and, mm -hmm. you know, we try to focus on carbohydrates uh, at certain times, you know, starting at breakfast and then filtering throughout the day. Uh, but I generally don't have many carbohydrates at breakfast. I will have a little bit more around my workouts when I'm a little bit more carb uh, sensitive. And yeah. I just find that they help a little bit for my sleep, uh, my deep sleep, my serotonin release when I have 
some carbohydrates in the evening. So if I do stay away from carbs during the day, maybe on a non-training day, I'll have them before bed, which uh, people usually generally say is unaccepted. You're going to store it as fats. But if you're insulin sensitive, I, I think it's absolutely fine. But I'll usually try to stick to, you know, my sweet potatoes, you know, my tubers, and a lot of fibrous carbs and maybe some fruits, you know, and yeah. uh, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, you don't need much more. I mean, it's, I think, you know, we do, we're living in a time in a society in general where we tend to overdo things, whether it's one thing or another. So it's, um, <clears throat> it's definitely ultimately biting us. And so getting back to, you know, the, the life of a bodybuilder where you're eating five, six meals a day and speaking of overdoing it. And we were talking about this, I think, before we started the podcast where, you know, it's, it's, it's constantly running this machine that like, do, would you fast at all when you were, and do you fast now just to kind of tap into the, that whole other set of mechanisms, like the longevity mechanisms, the autophagy, the mitophagy, that kind of thing. Like even as an athlete, are you able to weave that into your, your training and, and your, your life? Yeah, for sure. You know, like on my non-training days, I'll definitely fast. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that could be a 16, 18 hour fast. Sometimes I'll intermittently put a several day fast in it. It doesn't really happen that often or a 24 hour fast, but it's usually just on non-training days. Now it isn't always extremely strict uh, where let's say, you know, I'm not going to follow let's say a Dr. Sachin Panda or Jason Fung sort of protocol where you can't even have a cup of tea. Right. Uh, I, will, I, will I will have some tea. I'll have maybe some glutamine or some essential amino acids, not so much BCAAs because of the high amount of leucine that can you know, uh, shut off autophagy, but I'll, what's called controlled fasting. I'll control my fasting because I don't want to be completely catabolic. So sometimes... I'll add some glutamine and my and some essential amino acids during their fasting protocols. But for some people that they say they can't train uh, when they're fasted, that's uh, a load of crap. You know, you yeah. can definitely train fasted. A lot of it comes down to mental resilience, staying hydrated, uh, making sure that you're having plenty of electrolytes or plenty of salt. Mm -hmm. um, and during those times is fine. But yeah, it is something that I do practice. I find that it's essential for a lot of bodybuilders, considering we eat so much protein, which can ferment in the gut, causing bad bacteria, could possibly lead to chemical responders in your brain. Now you're not feeling good. You're not motivated to train or perform. So I think it's very good to kind of clean the house, as you yeah. said, through, through autophagy and uh, making sure that we can synthesize the proteins through a clean gut, through clean intestines and you're only going to get that through a type of fasting or unless you do some sort of colonic hydrotherapy or detoxification <laughs> protocol. Yeah. Well, and even then you're not getting down to the cellular level. I actually have a good friend and practitioner who I will work with sometimes who will put his clients through a program where he basically says, I mean, in his mind, you're not going to build and tear down at the same time. And so he will often go through a phase of of teardown, if you will, where there is an accepted level of catabolism because you're, you know, you're, you're stripping away the, the gunk, if you will. And so you might lose a little bit of your lean mass along the way. Obviously it's controlled. It's not over the top, but then when you go to rebuild, it's almost like you alluded, you said this earlier, you kind of, you clean out the receptors, you, you clean out the pipes, you get that microbiome working for you again. And all of a sudden, it's almost like you kind of get this, this jet fuel 
sort of response. And, and frankly, even the body, after a time of deprivation, you start feeding and it's going to respond to that feed. Yeah, of course. I think, you know, it's like when you start training for the very first time, your body responds really well. And when you go through this uh, cyclical style of training and nutrition and detoxification, then your body just responds so much better. And, uh, you know, I feel as better now, you know, in my late 40s than I did when I was training in my 30s because I just didn't know any better. It's yeah. just like train heavy, take loads of pre-workouts and just psych yourself up for the workouts and forget everything else. But now we know that we need to prioritize our recovery. We need to prioritize our mitochondria and our gut health. Um, you know, some people will refer to it as our second brain. I think it's our first brain. You know, to <laughs> exactly. a certain degree. Yeah. It's just ego that makes us call it our second brain. That's yeah. We still want to delude ourselves into thinking we're in charge somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the majority of our immune responses from our gut, our hormone, a lot of our hormones are you know, uh, synthesized from the gut. Yeah. So it make you know it goes without saying that we need to you know embody that and prioritize it. You know, there's so many people out there that are taking a lot of artificial crap. They're taking in antibiotics, not only the ones that are prescribed, but from our food sources as well. And it's just causing a lot of gut dysbiosis. And, Absolutely, uh, you know, people can't synthesize what they're eating. Yeah, no, and, and that's a really good point. How much do you use EAAs with your clients? Do you use them much at all? Yeah, usually about 50. Yeah, yeah, I do quite a lot. I yeah. do quite a lot. You know, I, I just find that if I can uh, utilize EAAs a little bit sometimes, especially with the people who are taking in a lot of calories, they don't have to take in so many, yeah. especially, you know, as well, people that are vegans and uh, they want to mm -hmm. bodybuild. I have a large uh, vegan community from India that I work yeah. with. So I'll get them on maybe a little bit more essential amino acids. So could be 15 grams and up. Yeah, no, definitely. And I've also seen, and I'm so glad you said essential amino acids because I'm sitting there going, the two of us are like, yeah, EAA is this, EAA is that. And I can imagine someone sitting there going, what are they talking about? Um, so, um, so yeah, so the essential amino acids, I also find them really good for um, older people who don't break down their protein quite as efficiently. Or sometimes yeah. when you have someone who's injured, they, the essential amino acids can give you that little extra oomph of repair material, if you will, for the body that the body doesn't have to work for, kind of. Yeah, exactly. This is one thing that I do suggest to my parents, you know, okay, maybe they don't want to weight train as much. They don't want to do any resistance training, even though I do suggest it. You know, the one thing that I do suggest with a lot of my clients is just essential amino acids, again, as you get a little bit older or you're injured and sauna as well. Sauna has been yeah. shown to help prevent a lot of muscle wastage in the elderly as well. Yeah, no, for sure. I actually got my, my mom who's she just turned 84 and last year she was having a lot of pain in her hips and it was osteoporosis that was really starting to kick in. And she still works in retail. Like she's still very, very busy lady. Um, but I convinced her to go to a gym called it's a concept gym they have in Florida called Osteo Strong. I don't know if you've ever yeah, heard I've of heard, it. Yeah, I know the concept. Yeah. So to and for and I think especially for elderly people it's a really great concept because you're not, you're not in that intimidating kind of gym environment with the barbells and the stuff. It's very controlled. It's I, to me, they're much less likely to get hurt, but along, along with osteo strong and a couple of the other biohacks, my poor parents are constantly being told they need to do on a daily basis. Although, you know, God love them. They, they, they generally do what I tell them to do. 
but it is amazing to me what a difference that that lift that pushing heavy weight made to her pain levels along with everything else that she was doing yeah so you know they, they've actually studied this and we spoke a little bit about this before the podcast that yeah. uh you know the blue zones and uh, specifically the elderly and you know centenarians in okinawa they sit and stand up around 50 times plus per day from the floor they don't have seats that's huge. Uh, that, yeah, that's part of their tradition. And you just think about how many people actually do that on a couch. They don't. But you're actually no. doing that from a floor. That's great for the density of your hips, for your knees, for your femurs, for your, for your joints as a whole. So it's something that you know they're doing in a natural way. And you look at uh, people like in Sardinia or, in, like mm-hmm. I said, in Okinawa. Again, they don't have a term or a name for retirement. They're constantly moving. Yeah. which is you know the problem that we have in a westernized culture where we try to we try to do whatever we can to seek comfort and yes. stay still and that just conditions ourselves for our early demise there's no purpose behind it yeah i totally agree i mean i think that's why we see so many people who retire who expire not long after right they yeah i like that <laughs> 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 don't don't retire because you will expire. Yeah, you know they they've lost their purpose, and the universe says, okay, this person's not reproducing anymore. They haven't sought a purpose. They're not working. We might as well get rid of you out of our universe now. Yeah, well, and the body just kind of winds down, right? You're not. Yeah. I think it's 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 like building muscle. The body's not going to build a huge amount of muscle unless it sees that there's a reason to build that muscle. So if we don't give if we don't give the body the right stimulus to do what we wanted to do. It's, it's going to take the easy road. That's why we've lasted this long. It's all about adaptation, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we, and we know these acute stresses, whether it be from weight training or hit training or hot or cold or fasting, you know, uh, you know, lead to, you know, the possibility of the contribution of longevity. Mm-hmm. So we should, we need to partake in all of these things. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, in terms of um, intake of protein, like we talked about essential amino acids, but when you're working with your clients, because I know you do, I don't know if you personally do it as much anymore, but you do a lot of coaching yourself and you've got this kind of empire where you've got your gyms and you've got, I think you've got a company that makes protein powders and supplements and all that kind of stuff. Like you've got quite a, quite a multifaceted business, but I, you know, how do you advise people on protein intake? And, and obviously the, the answer is going to be very different for different people. But as we move into this longevity story, there's, you know, you've got people saying, keep it low. Other people saying, keep it high. What's your, what's your take on, uh, on finding the, the edge, if you will? Well, as you mentioned, it's uh, very, very dependent on that person and that and that person's goals, whether they're trying to build muscle, pack on size, whether they're trying to lose body fat, or they're just trying to you know, look after their health, whatever it may be, or reverse their biological age. It's all dependent. But let's say if that person is trying to reverse their biological age or they're trying to lose body fat, then I'm giving them more maintenance levels. And that's usually about... 0.9 grams per pound of body weight because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting these people to move. I'm, I'm still breaking down some muscle tissue. So they're going to require a little bit more than what is needed for their eyes or their skin or their yeah. hair. You yeah. know, we're going to need it for the, to repair the, the, the muscle tissue. But that's usually what I'll, I'd suggest. And 
it'll be a little bit less maybe on non-training days because I'm not getting people to work out with the resistance uh, every single day. It's usually five days with a couple of days off. Again, dependent on that individual and how much stress that they're dealing with in their normal day-to-day life. And uh, obviously, I'm looking at the sources. Uh, if they're taking in essential amino acids, it's, it's from fermented forms. Mm-hmm. If they're having uh, protein powders, it's non-GMO. The, the food is grass-fed, humane-raised, wild-caught. So I'm always ensuring that those are very good sources of, 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 of protein. And then, you know, as I mentioned, on a non-training days, it's definitely going to be less. They're not working out. And a lot of the time, I'm getting them to fast then as well for you know, maybe 12 hours for a female could be 16, 18 hours for a male. Yeah. And so, so that's interesting. So do you advise your women clients not to fast? Oh yeah. Maybe it's like a 12 hour fast, but it's all dependent on our hormonal levels. Yeah. So sometimes that can be a stressor could possibly downregulate their thyroid. So always look at these markers before I, I, I promote it. But uh, sometimes, unfortunately, women are a little bit more resilient. I'll fast for 20 hours. I'm like, well, no, let's kind of hold it back, bring it back a little bit and see what the goals are and, you know, you know, what your hormonal levels are look, looking at like, because we want to make sure that we look after that first. Yeah, especially for for active individuals. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I find that for women, I mean, and for people in general, like I've had clients who have had to, I mean, you get the two kinds of clients, right? You get one kind of client where you mention the word fasting and their eyes get really big and they think you're trying to kill them. And then you get the other kind of client who leans into fasting and you can't get them to eat anymore. They're like, they're so it's, first of all, it's easy. They're used to it. It's what, you know, they kind of get into it and it's this badge of honor. Like I don't eat until two o'clock ever. And, you know, and, and I find that helping people to find nuance in that is often the, the, the secret, but, but it's interesting this thing, cause, cause I don't, you know, I, to me, a 12 hour fast isn't a fast. I, I feel like 12 hours, you actually should be able to go from eight o'clock in the evening until eight o'clock in the morning or six to six. That should not, that should just be normal. Right. But in our society where we live at this eternal buffet, I call it right. We we're just always eating. Um, It's become a fast all of a sudden. Yeah. It's funny. Like I was having this conversation with uh, uh, Lid Hamilton not so long ago. And uh, it's funny how we do use that term fasting when it's like, oh, let's just call it not eating. Yeah. <laughs> we're, just, we're just not eating, which is kind of normal, you know, when you think about it. But yeah, there's, you know, what I was mentioning about some of the clients that I have on like 12 hours, it's exactly what you referred to. It can cause like uh, some sort of eating disorder with some people mm-hmm. and where they have fasted for God, you know, 20 hours a day and it's just too much. It's like, okay, now we're going to kind of bring you down a little bit. Let's go into kind of some normal eating habits. So we're going to quote unquote fast for 12 hours and then we'll see how we feel. And we'll bring the size of these portions down because you're just overeating at these particular times. So I'll usually get them to break their fast with like some fibrous vegetables first, really fill themselves up. And then we'll move on to the the protein and then finish off with the carbohydrates. Um, So they're not overeating with the carbohydrates or sorry, the fats. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't mix them. Sometimes I'll separate them. So carbohydrates in one meal and 
fats with the other, just to kind of get them to have some sort of normalcy within their food and making sure that you're putting a fork down in between your bites. You're actually appreciating and not scrolling or distracted when you are eating. And, uh, you know, some people I get them to read the slow down diet uh, book, uh, just to really get them to acknowledge that you're not supposed to be in a sympathetic state with yeah. uh, higher cortisol levels all the time when you're eating because you're not digesting, you know? That's why For it's sure. called rest, rest and digest. Well, exactly. And if your body thinks you're fat, you're, you're, if your body thinks you're dying of hunger, pretty much, it's, it's in a heightened state when you, when you go into that feed. And, yeah. uh, and I do, and I do find that it, that the dysregulated eating, I see it actually in people that I know who have gotten so used to this one meal a day thing. And it's, and it's interesting because it worked for them for a while. They looked very lean, the, the whole nine yards, but I look at them now and the, and this is actually particularly in women who were premenopausal and then went through menopause and they're on the other side. And it's still just what they do, but they're, they've been hit with the menopause, you know, the 10 or 15 pound weight gain. And it's clearly the fasting's not working for them anymore. And it's very hard to get them to, to, to reconsider. (laughs) Yeah. And it's all about a little bit more of balance, isn't it? You know, obviously at that, at that stage, they are creating, a little bit more insulin resistance. So, hey, let's just swap things up for a little bit for a while. Let's try to eat little and often. You know, if you're going to be on a keto diet, let's maybe follow a cyclical approach. Yes. To see how that works. You know, it's not all, all or one for everybody, but a little bit of balance works for most. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about eating several small meals because so many people are very, um, really don't subscribe to that idea really feel that. And I was one of them for the longest time. I've kind of softened on my position a little bit, but I used to, and, and I do think you should be able to go four to five hours between meals. You shouldn't need to eat every two and a half hours, but you know, I definitely, as someone who's coming out of the bodybuilding community, just out of necessity, you just to pack in the calories you need to eat more often. Um, but what are your thoughts when you're coaching your clients in terms of eating more frequent small meals during the day? Yeah, I, I do. Again, it, it is, it's all dependent on the client. It really, always, really is. Always. So, uh, you know, we if, can call this the it depends for sure. Yeah. And yeah. Always. <laughs> yeah. So the majority uh, are from an athletic community or they are participating in some sort of athleticism yeah. requiring a, a lot more than the average person. So then I don't want to have them eating larger meals. A lot of the time it is a little bit more little and often to create that uh, insulin stability mm-hmm. because a lot, a lot of these people, when they start a diet, they're used to eating uh, maybe a little bit of crap, you know, more sugars, a little bit bad fat here and there. So I would, don't want them to have cravings. So a lot of it can be psychological, but after a while, it, 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 you know, I, I want to make sure that they have that insulin stability. So that's why I prescribe little and often. So that could be every three to four hours from the morning to evening. Of course, you know, they can do their cardio fasting. That's absolutely fine. Um, so that's, that's the deal that I get on them on uh, during the day. However, I do prescribe more of a nose to tail uh, diet because when people are eating about five or six times a day, 
that's a lot of uh, methionine that they're, <laughs> they're, they're getting into their diet and they're getting very little glycine. So yeah. of course we can supplement with glycine. We can take collagen supplements and, and whatnot, but I do try to get them to eat and get, you know, their vitamin A, their selenium, their B vitamins, their iron from a nose to tail style diet. So I do suggest that as well to balance out their methionine to glycine ratio. And then, okay, we've gone from this meal frequency on one day. Let's give our body a break a couple of times a day. We will fast for about 16 to 18 hours on average, usually mm-hmm. around, around that to give their body a break. So, you know, again, it's a bit of balance balance there it isn't all bodybuilding we're really trying to pack on size let's yeah. get that amp path ampk pathway uh, a little bit of a rest away from the end tour that we're hitting about five days a week our sponsor today has a black friday offer you will not want to miss so you'll want to stick around to the end of this message magnesium deficiency as you know is rampant and can contribute to a wide spectrum of symptoms from irritability to anxiety insomnia to muscle cramps and twitches even constipation and poor quality sleep. This is why I exclusively recommend and use Magnesium Breakthrough because it's the only full spectrum magnesium supplement with seven forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb, allowing you to upgrade your sleep, your brain, and so much more. Bioptimizers is having an incredible Black Friday offer from November 21st to 29th. You can get Mag Breakthrough and all of the other Bioptimizers best-in-class products for 25% off. They only offer this discount once a year, so you do not want to miss this. Just go to bioptimizers.com forward slash bionat and enter code bionat to get 25% off any order. Now remember that Bioptimizer stands behind their products with a 365-day money-back guarantee, so there's literally no risk to you. And if you're listening to this after the Black Friday sale and missed a special offer, not to worry. There's always a 10% discount for my listeners with the code BIONAT. But this offer is live till November 29th, so if you got here just in time, that link again is bioptimizers.com forward slash BIONAT and code BIONAT. Yeah, I love that variability, actually. I, I do think even even for the women where we don't recommend a lot of fasting a lot of the time, you know, doing a day of fasting once a week or once every couple of weeks, depending on where they are in their cycle, can actually be hugely beneficial. It's a bit of a clean out, right? It's, and that you're not going to hurt your thyroid on, on that. But you were just talking about balancing methionine with the glycine and talking about nose to tail, I'm just for the audience and the methionine. So the methionine we get from the muscle meats, obviously, but can you talk a little bit about what you mean by nose to tail? You're obviously talking about the bits and I refer to it as the bits and bobs. Nobody wants to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, 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 it's usually in the discount section if you can find it. Uh, but like here in the UK, actually, there's a, a, there's a supermarket called Morrison's. And I can go in there and I can find heart, I can find liver, I can find kidney, I can get my bone marrow, so I get, you know, I can get everything there. In the UK, you, uh, in the US, sorry, you're generally going to a, a farmer's market or you're putting yeah. in an you order. You need to find the butcher. butcher. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. a butcher or something like that. That's what I do when I'm in Boise, Idaho. Uh, but you've got to get a lot more, of, as I mentioned, the glycine that you're not finding in the muscle meat um, in in a lot of the, the offal, as it were, like you get in your kidney, in the liver, in the heart. Um, if somebody was to go nose to tail and start with organ meats, then I do suggest that you start with heart first. The it best. doesn't, 
Yeah, it tastes the best. good. It tastes good. It's like if you're having lamb, it tastes like lamb. Um, if you're yeah. having the beef heart, it tastes like beef, you know, it's, yeah. it's it, it doesn't really taste that much difference. And then, you know, that can be your gateway drug to maybe your liver or it. something <laughs> following her, you know. And uh, so what we what there were what we found in some studies many years ago is that, you know, when everything was abolished, when it comes to high fat breakfast, you know, it's going to cause a, a heart attack if you have your bacon and if you have your butter and your lard. That's going egg, to cause yolks. Your egg yolks got yeah. banished for a while. <laughs> egg yolks as well. Exactly. But what we found out in these studies is that they weren't looking at the methionine and glycine ratio. Mm-hmm. They were just having way too much methionine along with the fats. Now, the fats were okay, but those were the ones that were abolished. And we found that, you know, it was a, a gentleman called Ansel Keys yes. uh, <laughs> was funded by the guys at Kellogg's to say, that's bad maybe have cereals instead. Well, we found that out in hindsight, but in these studies, regardless, there just was not enough uh, glycine within these participants' diets. So now we know that we should have that balance and specifically for the athletic community that Mm -hmm. is eating so much muscle meat, we definitely have to cause that balance. And it's only been in the last, say, 100 years that we've stopped eating organs. Like even yeah. my mother says, well, in cooking classes, we would learn how to dress a heart and, and stuff like that. Absolutely. Where, when I went to school, it was like, hey, cook this cheesecake, you know. <laughs> exactly. No, I grew up eating a lot of those things. I mean, my grandmother even made a dish with uh, cow brain, which – I never even liked as a kid. I'm not, I'm going to put it out there. It's got a whole different flavor profile. It's not, or tripe or um, like, you know, these are, these are, these are like level 2.0 bits and bobs. Yeah, (laughs) I can't even find them. No, exactly. And you know, heart is interesting. Like people say to me, and I've said this on another podcast previously, and some, one of my um, group people in my group called me out on it. But, you know, I, I'll say to people, so let me get this straight. You'll eat a muscle in an animal butt. You'll eat a muscle in an animal shoulder. But because it's the muscle of the heart, somehow it's more gross to you. I don't understand that. Like, help me understand. It's just another muscle. <laughs> yeah, it's just a thought, I think. But I yeah. tell you what, you can save so much money just by replacing a little bit of your food throughout the week with, uh, you know, some of these uh organ organ meats and you know you don't have to overdo it just put it in there every now and again yeah it's a couple ounces here and there right like with liver you don't need a whole lot a little goes a long way it's it's because it's so nutrient dense ultimately exactly you know you know you're going to get way more than for instance your recommended vitamin a just in a little portion so you really don't have that much it's just highly bioavailable yeah, no, I love it. You mentioned earlier, because I'm taking little notes here and there. I'm like, oh, I want to come back to this. I want to come back to that. Uh, you mentioned pre-workouts and pre-workouts are contentious in the world. You get all the wrong people taking all the wrong stuff at the, at the wrong time. And, and there's some pretty crazy products out there. A lot of them, frankly, mostly jack you up on caffeine, you know? And so you think you're getting this amazing, this amazing workout because you've got a whole wacky caffeine in it, but not a whole lot more in your mind. What do you think makes a good pre-workout and how, how much of a workout should a person be doing to justify a (laughs) (laughs) pre-workout? Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah. Beginners don't need a pre-workout. They just should have work on the motivation and discipline 
to get to the gym. Yeah. So that, that's your cake. Then the icing comes later once you've shown the consistency, the devotion and the discipline and the motivation to work out. But what should you f- look for in a pre-workout? It should be something that's, you know, especially if you're a high volume athlete, like I like to train with a lot of volume, a lot of repetitions, a lot of uh, intensity, short rest periods. So something, you know, like uh, a carnosine, a beta alanine, that will help buffer lactic acid buildup because as you're training towards the last couple of reps, it's usually the burn of the lactic acid that prevents you from doing that last one or two repetitions. Mm -hmm. So something like beta alanine uh, that, you know, I always try to refer to the patented versions because those are the ones that have been shown with studies for health, you know, uh, purity and performance in in tests. Uh, So carnosine would be that. And then for, you know, somebody that's looking, obviously you want to be hydrated during your workout. So a good electrolyte balance within that product, good minerals uh, within that product is essential to me. Then, uh, you know, like branch chain amino acids or essential amino acids in there as well to help signal, especially, you know, with leucine to signal that anabolic response because weight training can be catabolic dependent how intense and how long that person uh, works out for. And something that is going to help with blood vasodilation. So citrulline, again, a fermented form of citrulline, Mm -hmm. I would uh, look out for, you know, uh, um, you know, with that, I always say, well, the better the blood flow to the localized muscles that you're working on, let's say if it's the back or the hamstrings, it's something like a posterior chain. It's not a mirror muscle. A lot of people have uh, difficulty with getting that mind muscle connection, that those neural pathways to contract that muscle. So the better blood flow that you have to these areas, the better mind muscle connection, the better contraction that nice. you're going to get, get to that area. Yeah. So, you know, things like that. And, there's there's caffeinated versions and there's non-caffeinated versions. Now, if you're training later in the day, then I suggest non-caffeinated. In the morning and you're receptive to caffeine, you're fine, then okay. But I always suggest an organic caffeine, like from Mm -hmm. a green bean coffee bean that has that steady release that's not going to get you wired and anxious because it was made in a lab. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, and then you get your slow caffeine and fast caffeine metabolizers, right? Yeah. So I know yeah, that exactly. when I was doing CrossFit for a while, I uh, I don't know how I came upon this, but <laughs> I would I work out fasted typically, which is not necessarily always the best way to go with CrossFit. But you once you get once you adapt to it, it's actually not that big a deal. But I got into this thing where I would make myself an espresso and put a fig into it and let it sit while I got ready. And then I would eat the fig and drink the, the espresso. And it was like, I was shot out of a cannon. But the problem is that um, I'm a slow caffeine metabolizer. So I would literally be vibrating that whole morning. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm the same. Yeah. If I have anything like up until say, you know, if I was to have caffeine at three o'clock, uh, or any time after, I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm generally not sleeping. My my deep sleep, my REM is is, is definitely tanked. Yeah, so I'm the same. I usually have if I am taking a pre workout, I'll take a stimulant free pre workout the majority of the time. Yeah, no, I have one that I like, but I do half dose. Like I feel if I can, if I can feel it, if if it gives me a good workout, but I don't feel it through the rest of the day. Like I don't have that kind of. I don't know, edgy teeth thing going yeah. on. <laughs> I've, hit, yeah. I've hit my dose, but I can only do maybe half of it. 
And then in terms of post-workouts, again, so obviously it's going to, de- it's going to depend on load and how much, how much the person's working out. But let's say somebody's working out for a good hour or 45 minutes and really pushing themselves. At that point, are you recommending like a protein shake? Is there people, some people are like, well, I got to have my protein shake right as soon as I work out. I've heard a lot of people talk about give your body about an hour or so to kind of calm down and settle after the workout before you introduce uh, a protein shake. What are your thoughts on that? Um, No, I usually have my clients settle down for about an hour before they have carbohydrates. Nice. Um, So I usually have them have carbohydrates in a solid form. Of course, they can take a powder if they want, but usually, you know, it could be like a sweet potato. It could be a rice, a jasmine rice or something uh, because they are insulin sensitive at that time. But uh, if they have carbohydrates straight after their workout, it does uh, numb or nullify the release of gro- growth hormone. Mm, so right, it's going to knock it down, right? Yeah, so I like to have that growth hormone release. And then, you know, so, you know, and then they'll have their carbohydrates about an, an hour or so later, uh, you know, within a couple of hours. But usually I'll have my clients to have uh, whey protein isolates. Yeah. Immediately after after the workout, along with creatine and along with um, uh, glutamine, fermented mm-hmm. glutamine. So usually, if that post workout formula has all of that together, great, perfect. Uh, but if not, take it all separately. And I also suggest that that whey protein isolate has a form of a like a digestive enzyme. Could be a prohydrolyze enzyme. It could be an IOA to, uh, enzyme, just to help take that protein fraction into an even smaller peptide for easier digestion. Even though whey isolate on the whole has like less than one gram of lactose, mm-hmm. still some people have a little bit of difficulty absorbing those fractions. So yeah. having a digestive enzyme with that usually works very well the the pre-workout should have creatine the post-workout should have creatine if they're working out and trying to build muscle uh just to prolong that atp or addison triphosphate production and obviously after the workout creatine is completely depleted so i like to bookend before and after once they've had their protein shake then i ask them to do some form of cardio Okay, so even if they if they don't pay for that protein shake, yeah, (laughs) yeah. If uh, if they don't have time to do cardio, I at the very least get them to cool down to remove that localized area where they've just trained of lactic acid, and then replace it with a protein to help repair the damaged tissue that we've just broken down. So much like if you cut yourself, you need. Uh, amino acids to help repair that cut on, you know, on the epidermic layer. It's the same thing. We're just doing it subcutaneous. We're doing it, sorry, uh, in, within the muscle. So Mm -hmm. we need to repair that muscle tissue usually as soon as humanly possible because less than 24 hours later, they're going to do the same thing and damage another muscle tissue. The better that they've recovered, that usually dictates a better performance the next day. Do you, um, that actually brings up another question. So in your 50 plus client or even 60 plus client, do you have them work out less often just to allow for more time in between to recover in between? Like, I feel like there's that point of diminishing return at that once we get into those ages. Yeah. Every now and again, I'll get a freak. I'll yeah, get a look, obviously there's exceptions uh, yeah. to every rule. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But for the, mo- for the most part, yeah. If that person is, uh, 
they're like let's say you know like in late 50s or 60s yeah the training frequency will come down maybe it's a four-day split maybe it's a three-day split you know monday wednesday friday yeah uh, something like that usually some form of cardiovascular movement on a daily basis but resistance training can be less frequent maybe the volume will come down during those workouts the rest periods in between sets will increase you know it's a, a, again different strokes for different folks yeah, although we still see, I mean, I find increasingly we're seeing people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and sometimes even beyond who are carrying a reasonable amount of lean muscle. Like if they're, if they commit and do the work and follow the nutrition, I think that, I think one of the big things that we can do in our communities is stop this narrative that you can't have muscle past a certain age. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. It, it, it's definitely going in that direction. Like we just had a gentleman by the name of Dexter Jackson retire at the age of 52 at the top of the sport. He won, he, he placed top, uh, top two in the Arnold Classic yeah. that year as well. Wow. Uh, c- competing on the Olympia stage, which very, very few people do. He won the Mr. Olympia and he just wow. retired and he looked absolutely phenomenal. And then there's somebody else that we know within the industry who's about 53. His name's Mike O'Hearn. And he, he's just an unbelievable physical specimen that just puts everybody within the industry uh, on a natural bodybuilding front to shame. Wow. And he's in his 50s now. You know, you just get these people every now and again. Yeah. But I'm talking more in terms of nor- regular people. <laughs> Like, oh, right. as the, the mere mortal humans that, oh, you know, right. yeah, of course. but, but I mean, less so on the bodybuilding front, but more on the, you know, like I have to fight with my mom to get her to go to that gym. And it was finally, it was the osteoporosis that allowed me that opened the door for me to say to her, you do not have a choice. If you don't challenge your body, it will not build the muscle, the, the bone. And, and you need to exert a certain amount of force to do that. I just find that you know, I think that that the mindset has been for so long to do less that we forget that, yes, less than maybe when you were 40, but you still, to me, like at whatever age you are, you want to be pushing that boundary a little bit. You want to be taxing the body so that the body will give you as much as it can of what you're after, which is the dense bones and the lean mass. And the like, I just feel as a societally, we we let ourselves and, and elderly people off the hook a little too easily in terms of training as they get older. Yeah. And uh, they always justify it. You know, there's always a means that they justify why they shouldn't move because it's uncomfortable. You know, yeah. it's, it's, of course, it's, it's not always supposed to hurt, but yeah. I mean, it can be uncomfortable to get off the couch, to put down the remote control, to not buy, you know, buy um, McDonald's or whatever, you have to get out of your comfort zone and, you know, make some sort of sacrifice if you want the success of longevity. Yeah. And, you know, we're being sold, you know, on the streets. We're sold at the checkout. We're sold with Netflix. We're sold with Amazon being delivered to our door, groceries yeah. delivered to our door, where we don't have to move anymore. So people choose not to move. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a reason why we're dealing with more diabetics and, you know, cancer patients and, dementia than ever before it's not as if our dna has changed our environment has definitely changed and we've got to do whatever we can to kind of control that now there's a lot of things that we may think is a bit woo-woo when it comes to emfs and wi-fi and grounding and earthing but 
as I said, our environment has changed dramatically. Our food supply, our fluid supply has dra- uh, changed dramatically. We got to do whatever we can to protect ourselves, but it comes as the foundational first. It isn't all the biohacks. It's the free stuff. It's getting the sunlight. It. It's moving every day, getting some resistance training, making sure that you're eating as natural and healthy as possible. And, uh, you know, it all comes from that. And then we can kind of look at the shiny objects of all the expensive biohacks after. I love that. I, that's so true. And I, I mean, I love it. I love hearing other people say it because I feel like a broken record sometimes. So it's it's refreshing for someone else to come out with it before me. So, all right. So we're going to maybe start to wrap this up a little bit. But before we do, as a matter of fact, why don't you share with the audience a bit about your hierarchy of what's the foundation, what comes next, like, and then moving into the biohacks, like the grounding and the, I have heard you talk about grounding before, the natural light exposure. And then, you know, if you are going to do some of those shiny objects in your mind, what would, what would be the shiny objects you would choose? And it's going to depend from person to person. We can just, you can only cover so much. We'll generalize it, of course. Okay, well, uh, first of all, you know, like, like we mentioned before, it's, it's eaten as natural as you possibly can. If you can afford it, then wild caught, humane raised, organic, et cetera. And, uh, you know, slow down while you're eating. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, that doesn't cost anything. You know, don't eat in this sympathetic state all the time where cortisols or levels are high. You know, just slow down a little bit. And hydration is a big thing, especially as I'm here in the UK, People do not, the wait, waiters or waitress do not come up and refill your, your drink or anything like that. But everyone drinks coffee and tea. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that can have a diuretic effect. So making sure that you're drinking with plenty of electrolytes throughout the day, your body's made up of about 70% uh, fluid, your brain, 75% fluid. So, you know, stay adequately hydrated. The other thing is free as well, is that sleeping you know, making yeah. sure that you're focusing on your sleep, trying to go to bed early. Um, you know, don't stay up past midnight and keep your cortisol levels up higher and allowing, you know, the quality of your recovery to falter. So uh, if you do happen to stay up, you know, wear your blue light blocking glasses, your red lens in the evening to ensure that the blue, the artificial light isn't penetrating your retina and preventing your own natural melatonin secretion to release, which is a a strong antioxidant in itself. And then when it comes to the biohacks specifically, the free stuff first, you know, hot and cold therapy, I think is great. Mm -hmm. I think it's phenomenal for a lot of people to help with emotional stability. It helps, you know, tone your vagal nerves. So you have that emotional stability throughout the day. Uh, It can help with mobilize your fatty acids. Um, You know, if you do have an ice bath or something like that, I do have an ice bath at home. So I always have an ice bath in the morning, but if you can't, you have a cold shower and heat, heat is good. So our environment, you know, it's got a lot of uh, pollutants, a lot of toxins. Uh, So whatever you can to kind of detox yourself and then, you know, uh, have your heat shock proteins to help repair your damaged DNA. Um, Have your sauna for about 20, 25 minutes every day. It's been shown in studies that we can reverse our all-cause mortality by about 47% if we do this on a five five days a week minimum, you know? Crazy. So those are the things. And then earthing, uh, uh, you know, earthing, grounding. If you've got to start your day, start it off with meditation. Get out there, get sunlight, get that vitamin D hit. And earth yourself, get those negative eons from the earth. So you can really multitask there with your sun, your grounding and um, 
and uh, your meditation to invite that positivity into your universe to stay in that parasympathetic state throughout the day. And uh, the biohacks from that, obviously, if it's uh, if you're in Idaho or wherever it is during the winter and you can't get that sunlight in the morning, then you've obviously got your red light therapy, which yeah. is great for collagen production, helps set your circadian rhythm. You know, you, 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 you start at setting your circadian rhythm from the time that you wake up. Absolutely. So you don't want to hit yourself with a lot of artificial light during that time. And, um, and then, you know, other further uh, biohacks, of course, as we mentioned, it can be all dependent, but, you know, I mentioned the red light therapy uh, before, and kind of blocking uh, the, the blue lights, but you know, you're fasting, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the fasting is going to be a good part of that a couple of times a week. Um, there are some fringe biohacks that I do. Um, it could be stem cells. So I just yeah. came back from Mexico a couple of months ago and I had stem cells there. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I, I've, I went to Columbia about four years ago and had stem cells um, but, you know, hyperbaric oxygen is really, yeah. really good. It's been shown to help now in a recent study uh, to help prevent the shortening of telomeres. Mm-hmm. So I like to do hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And, you know, every now and again, you know, I do supplement with NAD or NMN, nice. sorry, NMN. But uh, I'll have NAD IV every six weeks or so. So nice. a few biohacks to throw in there. Lovely. I love it. Lovely. Um and it's a nice little hierarchy up the up the chain. You don't get to go up to the fancy stuff till you've passed the, the foundational. Yeah, the always foundational. work on a foundation first because I've noticed whenever I say to a client, start meditating, they don't really take it as seriously because it's free. If I go them go and ask them to spend a couple of thousand dollars on red light therapy panels or maybe you know several thousand dollars on an ice bath they go out and do it immediately you know oh yeah well because you're throwing money at the problem right and it's um i mean you know there's ways to spend money on meditation if you really want to yeah yeah that's true. <laughs> you know, i'm i'm testing a few devices right now that are you know they'll set you back a couple hundred bucks so if if that's what it takes then knock yourself out <laughs> you can you can definitely hack meditation and breath work as well do you mind me asking, have you tried the brain tap yet? I'm on it three times a day. I'm about to um, oh, wow. I'm about to interview Patrick Porter next week. And so I've I, you know, just like when I and I and so I'm in a, I'm in a bit of a spot right now because as a person who, you know, I've kind of fallen in and out of meditation, heart math, breath work over the years. And I interviewed Jim Poole from Newcom earlier this year and fell in love with Newcom. So I'm, you know, I'm a devoted Newcom. I do it every day during the day. I sleep with the sleep track at night. Like my deep sleep scores are ridiculous as a result. Then comes along, you know, the opportunity to interview Patrick Porter, Dr. Porter. And so, you know, I get this brain tap headset and I'm sitting there going, I'm already Newcoming. Like, where am I going to fit this in? Next thing you know, I'm brain tapping first thing in the morning, middle of the day, or kind of in the afternoon and then before bed. So I've always got my husband's looking at me going, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, It's like the unspoken words are, this is not sexy. Like what's going on with like the light show at night? And <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I was just interested to know about that because uh, I, I, I did try it, but very, very briefly when yeah. I was at the expo. So I want to try it with a little bit more consistency because Darren Ollion uh, sold 
to me on it. You know, he absolutely loved it. While he was in London, he was sleeping so well. And he said it was due to that. So I thought, I've got to try this out. Yeah, it's really interesting. I will tell you that when I first, what happened was I was kind of using it kind of sporadically at the beginning. And then I came across their 21 day wellness journey. So I think it's like an induction program. And so you have a track and you have different tracks at different times of day. And it wasn't until I started, like I really leaned into it and I allowed myself to carve out the time to commit. Like when I wake up in the morning, I reach over, I grab that headset, I throw it on before I even get out of bed. And then, and then there's the late afternoon one, the bedtime one, I find really interesting because you know how we talk about wearing blue blockers. So the visor is flashing blue lights at your closed eyes. So ah, I am interesting. And by the time this airs, I don't know if my interview with Patrick Porter were, will have aired yet or not, but my burning question is <laughs> how does this work? How are you? And I've had clients say to me that they didn't like brain tap at night because of that. But I have, I kind of decided I'm going to, you know, as a biohacker, you have to surrender to a different process sometimes, even if it sort of contravenes your beliefs. Um, and so I will tell you that it doesn't hurt my sleep. Interesting. Interesting. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll be, I'll be tuning in to get that answer myself because it's something that I'd be very interested in too. For sure. So anyway, so yeah, so brain tap is, is still ongoing, but I think it's a, so in the end, I think in, with all of these more advanced meditation, brain entrainment devices, if you will, it comes down to what resonates for the individual. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to check it out and uh, maybe I'll have a hybrid with Newcom and see what, what works. Well, that's it. So you'll be like me. You'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So enough about me talking. Any parting words for our audience and where can they find you and learn more about what you do, sir? Well, I, I think the parting words is just start with the baby steps. You know, so many people get overwhelmed with everything, whether it be a training nutrition program or biohacking protocol. Just start with the little basics first and then build upon it. I always tell people, you know, I get so many clients that want to buy every single supplement out yes. there. And I'm like, yeah, every single supplement supplement probably does have a benefit towards someone. However, if you take all of them, you'd probably die within an hour. So (laughs) you want to take what is essential based on maybe your blood work, what your biomarkers are, et cetera. So whatever it is, just start with baby steps and work and just find out what works for you and then progress from there. But if anybody wants to find me, they can come and find me on my Instagram. It's Chris, K-R-I-S, Gethin, G-E-T-H, I am and uh, everything that I do kind of filters from there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you spending the time with me today. No, I really appreciate it too. They were great questions. Thank you ever so much. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. 
Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.